Well, Revelation 20, um, last week, remember, there in chapter 19, as we ended in verse 19 and, and uh, on, but it said, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, their armies gathered together to make war against him, the one who came uh, on the white horse, saying, King of kings and Lord of lords, and uh, the sword came out of his mouth, and he sat on that horse against his armies. And uh, Psalm 2 prophesied this, how all of the nations of the world combined there in that valley of Armageddon. The actual name of it is the Jezreel Valley in Israel. And, um, and how they would think they could actually war against the Lord and, and have victory. But it was deeply in their hearts just to hate Jesus and want to war against him. And Psalms 2, there in one verse, verses 1 through 5, there's the prophecy of it. The very second psalm. Interesting. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, that's the Hebrew, is the word Messiah, right? Saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and to distress them in his deep displeasure. So there the Lord in that Jezreel Valley in that final battle uh, himself is going to go to war against them and slaughter all of these armies of the earth who are standing in opposition against the Christ, the Messiah. And then we saw in verse 20 and 21 last week of Revelation 19, then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So as we end our marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years with Christ in heaven, we get on our horses along with the Lord, leave that marriage supper of the Lamb, Come down to earth, Jesus and all of us land on the Mount of Olives, and we are staying there in Jerusalem, but Jesus goes on, uh, oh, about another 50 miles away to the Jezreel Valley, has the final battle, and, um, and then the birds um, are free to come and to eat away the flesh of all of those Millions of armies that have joined themselves together there in that valley. Well, tonight in chapter 20, we pick up now with this thought. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, the great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Uh, this, is, this is interesting that it's not Gabriel or Michael or it's just an angel. Hey, Ernie, get down there, you know? And, and, and I love this because it shows that Satan all along has always been allowed his freedom by God and could end at any time. The number one question asked in the world is why does God allow 
bad things to happen to good people? Or why does God allow evil and suffering in the world if he's all good? Um, you can go to my teachings on Genesis, and I actually have that there, the number one most asked question. I have my notes with it. It's a, quite a lengthy study in and of itself. But God definitely, in wisdom, and I believe it's very explainable, um, if you're willing to, to follow through with the, the study, that um, Satan was allowed to have the power he had on earth for the amount of time he had. But people often get confused and they see, you know, God sweating, barely hanging on and fighting against the devil. And sometimes the devil is equally as powerful to our God. And, and, and there's this, this difficult struggle and God's always, you know, sweating and worrying and wondering if uh, Satan's going to get the better of him or not. And uh, that's the, the mentality in most religions. There's the, the light is almost as, or, or the darkness is almost equally as powerful as the good. But then because of the good of man, um, it, it wins over the power of evil. But it's always a close, close struggle. But here we see there's never a close second. He's just like, I'm not going to give even the job to one of my archangels, I'll just give it to some anonymous, random angel. And he says, whip out the chain and uh, tie him up and put him in the bottomless pit. Now, I don't believe this is hell yet. We uh, actually see as we study through the scriptures that for until Christ died and rose again, there was a holding place that was the same holding place for the righteous and the evil, a place called Hades, or uh, I just like to better say it in the Greek, it's Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. And we discover that that one place had two compartments. One would be called the bosom of Abraham. Remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Jesus isn't telling a parable, though. He's telling an actual story of this guy, Lazarus, who's a righteous man, but was always poor. And this rich man, he, he let basically Lazarus eat his leftovers. And they both died. And Jesus goes on to say that Lazarus went into the bosom of Abraham and was comforted there. But the rich man went into Hades. And it, he was tormented there. And we see that he cried out because there was a chasm between them, but yet he could see, and they could see each other. Interesting. And he cries out and begins to talk to Father Abraham. And he said, hey, uh, would you allow Lazarus, I know that guy, and I used to give him my leftovers all the time, can he now pay me back by just putting his little pinky in, in some water and just give me one drop, just one drop of water would be huge to me right now in this torment. And Abraham explained to him and said, no, you in your lifetime received all the comfort that world could bring. But now Lazarus is going to receive comfort forever. And we see that this man who was in Hades wasn't an evil man, some antichrist fellow, because we immediately see he had a good heart. He said, well, would you send Lazarus from the dead to my five brothers? They were, they're all living the same rich 
uh, godless life that I did? And he said, no. If he won't believe, if they won't believe the scriptures, they won't believe even if one raises from the dead. Of course, prophesying of Jesus as well. And so that is, I believe, Hades, the bottomless pit. Um, a gel, if you would. Now we're going to see later in Revelation, this Hades is taken and thrown into hell after the judgment. Um, some believe it is called the Abuso. Some believe the holding place of the righteous was also called paradise because Jesus on the cross said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Jesus went in to Hades, into that shield, that place of the righteous. Peter says he preached the gospel for three days and three nights to them. And we know that the people in Hades could hear because they could hear each other. And so everybody up to the cross heard the gospel in a three-day harvest crusade. And Jesus was the guest speaker. And all those who believed on him, whether people from Hades did or not, I do not know. But everybody who was willing shut down that portion of paradise, the bosom of Abraham, and now to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Um, but at this time, um, Satan is chained up and he's put into that place, the Abuso Hades, um, as we're going to discover for a thousand years. And, uh, and so it goes on to say here that uh, this statement is, is powerful to, to again to make just some weird anonymous angel uh, who has no uh, unique power and God's not going to give Satan any glory is able to um, easily arrest, if you would, Satan and throw him into this jail uh, until he would eventually judge him at the end of the thousand year reign and throw him into hell. Satan eventually is going to be seen. The Bible makes it clear that when that day comes, all of creation is going to see Satan was nothing. In Isaiah 14, verse 15 and 16, it said, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest parts of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shocked kingdoms? At that point, when he's in chains, getting ready to be thrown in to Sheol for this thousand years, the world's all going to look at him and go, I, I don't get it. The guy's just a weasel. In Ezekiel 28, verse 14 through 19, you were the anointed cherim who covered. I established you. You were the, on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Tell iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you will be filled with violence within you. You sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought 
fire from your midst. It devoured you. I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a whore and shall be no more forever. And uh, so we see here, and, and where is the location of this? Again, it, it's spiritual, but I also believe it's, it's literal. And uh, there's many uh, scriptures that I think allude to the fact that it's uh, in the center of the earth. And that would make sense because if you were in the center of the earth and the earth constantly turning, it would be bottomless. If somehow you could get down to the center of the earth, it would be turning and, and you would never hit ground. <laughs> you would just stay in that place. So um, I don't know. The, these are um, speculations and sort of uh, unnecessary. But it's interesting that he is thrown there. And we do know that he's not the only demonic creature thrown there. A matter of fact, in Peter and well as in Jude 6... It says the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. What is he referring there to? I think he's referring back to Genesis 6. Do you guys remember this when the sons of God, another name for angels, or in this case fallen angels? It says in Genesis 6 that they saw the daughters of men and they took them as their wives, and that these giants were on the earth. The word there is Nephilim, which is a, a demonic creature, was, came out of part human, part demon, and they, they crossed over. We know that as we see angels throughout the scripture, they always appear as young men. And so to what degree angels are, are similar to humans, uh, somehow they, they did this bizarre, weird thing and uh, these demons, I think is what Jude 6 is saying, they left their proper abode. They, they crossed. So God has, has rules for the demons. You, you guys remember the Job story? Where Satan came and, and said, can I touch Job? And God said, okay, I'll allow you to touch him, but only to this point. He came back going, can I have further permission to touch him even worse? And so we see that Satan, as evil as he was, he kept his abode. He, he did stay within the boundaries God gave him. But some of those fallen angels, those demons along with Satan, did not do so. And we have the one instance in Genesis 6, but it appears in the scriptures, you read Peter and Jude, there were other demons who also did that. And they were basically under arrest, thrown into Hades. They were not able to uh, have freedom to uh, do their evil deeds on earth with men as before. You might remember where the, uh, the pigs, you know, the, de went into the, the demons went into the pigs and it ran into the, the Galilee. They, they cried out and they said, are you going to judge us before the time? I, we beg of you, don't cast us out of this man, these 6,000 demons, because we don't want to be unembodied and roam around and not have a place to abide. And, um, and so he allowed them to go into the pigs, but that didn't last long. And, uh, and so Satan is bound, it says here in these verses, for a thousand years. 
And at the end of that thousand years, we're going to get into that next week in verse 7. The world that has been repopulated, he's going to have a chance to talk to them and to explain God's kingdom and Jesus' rule on earth versus how he thinks everything should be. And people that have been as long as a thousand years with Christ are going to say, I absolutely want to follow Satan. And there's going to be one final battle. We are, will be in that battle against the mankind that has turned against uh, the Lord and against us. And uh, there will be that final battle. I, I love it because the last thing we will ever do on earth before God destroys the earth and then it melts it all melts away and creates a new heaven and a new earth is we get to be in one final battle where all of us probably get to kick Satan at least once. You know? And, and you know, we're all over there going, hey, have you got your punches in? And we're going, ah, let's get this guy, you know? And, uh, and then um, everything's going to melt with the fervent heat, and then God will make a new heavens and a new earth. And uh, so, but it is amazing that a thousand years in prison, Satan has no change of mind or heart. He went in there thinking that through the tribulation period, he was going to overthrow God and be the God of the world and everybody would worship him and he would have his kingdom on earth. He fully believes this. And after a thousand years, his conclusion is, if I had one more chance, I could pull it off. Amazing how deceived he truly is. But it's also amazing, again, just showing that thousand years, there's no devil on the earth. There's no demons on the earth. There's just man and his human sinful nature. And what do we discover? That man doesn't need the devil to be evil. <laughs> that, 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 that man, even if you gave him a perfect world, well, it's all about environment. It doesn't matter about religion. We just need to get them in a good housing project, give them the best schools, and give them good clothes and good food. And you will see, um, you know, the people who, who are gangbangers and in that ghetto mindset, once they, they get a, a chance in a good environment, that will solve all problems. Well, I, I agree it can help. I, I definitely think it can help. I, I don't want to say there's no value in that. I think there is a lot of value in that. But in this case, we get to see man for a thousand years on earth with Jesus on a perfect earth, reformed and remade like, like the, uh, the Garden of Eden. And a huge majority of those people um, have no heart for God at all. No faith that, that Jesus even has rule over them. If they had a little bit of help from somebody equal to Jesus, had a little bit of power, they could overthrow Christ as well. They just can't do it because, you know, they need some help. And then Satan shows up going, hey, you needed somebody with supernatural power to help you overthrow Christ? We can do it, guys. And they're going, I know, I know we can do it. Let's go. And they go to battle against the Lord and against all of us. It's, it's just mind-boggling how dece deceived the world is. But he makes it clear there 
that uh, that devil will not be able to deceive anybody for a thousand years, but it doesn't seem to, to matter uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. Man deceives himself. Well, going back in, in verse 3 now, so he cast him into that bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he could deceive, he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So he's taken, he's bound, he's shut up, he's incarcerated. He, he cannot deceive anybody uh, for a thousand years. Now, some people say, well, you know, I have a hard time with what you're saying because you keep saying millennium and I've read the Bible. There, the word millennium's not in the Bible. Well, the word Bible's not in the Bible. Do you believe in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. No, the, the word millennium is a Latin word. And we've got to remember that... Um, <laughs> Our doctrines didn't originate in, in English. They originated in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And so um, as you are studying the scriptures in depth, there are times that our English language is horribly lacking and you have to go to the original. We just don't have enough tenses or specific words that were used. And, uh, and so we don't want to sit here and say, just because if anybody in the world wants to be anybody today, they got to know English, that, uh, you know, our English language carries the real truth of doctrine. It doesn't. Not more than any. I'm very thankful for our English language, but there are times you've got to go to the original to find what it meant in that original language. And so uh, a lot of the words we have come from um, the history of the early church fathers and a lot of those wordage is used and they got it either from the Hebrew or the Greek, but often, most often, Latin. Um, you know, the, the Catholic Church, you know, believes that the doctrine should only be studied out of the Latin because it's the, the purest of languages and they are correct on this point. It is sort of the root uh, of most languages. And it is a, a, a much more complicated language than any other language. And so uh, we, we use those commentaries and the teachings of the generations before, and they give us Latin words, like the word rapture. Well, I looked in the Bible. Uh, yeah, English, it's the word caught away. You know, we're all going to wait for the catch away. Just doesn't sound very cool, does it? You know, are you ready for the catch away? Sounds like an Indian. Um, Catchaway Christians. And uh, so, so we say in the Greek it's harpazo, but in the Latin it's rapturus, and we, we um, Englishize it saying rapture. In the same way, millennium, it's, it's the word in Latin uh, for milli, which means a thousand, and annum, anybody want to take a guess what that means? Years. Thus it means milli annum means a thousand years, and again, as, as you, it's called transliteration of a word. Translation is where you put it into the English. Transliteration is when you take that letter. So in this case, it's, so exa example, the word Jesus or the word disciple. Those are actually Greek words that we, ca we cannot have an English word equivalent, so we don't try. What we do is we go into the Greek for the word disciple, and, and it's the delta, and then the epsilon, 
and, and so forth. And we just say, what's that delta look like in English? Uh, it looks like a D. We put it in D. What's the next one? That looks like an I. Let's put it in I. What's that look like? Uh, uh, S. Let's try that. Yeah. And, and, and so it's called a transliteration. We take and, and we take the letters and make them English letters. And then we say, how do you pronounce that? What's it sound like? Disciple. Again, a lot of the, the theologians were German. And so often the transliteration went from Greek into the German. And then we took it from the German into the English. And this is why in some of your Bibles, especially the King James Bibles, you'll have different spellings uh, for different words. And it's because of uh, there is a decision that can be made on the, the Greek or the German or whatever the, the letter is before you translate it into English. And so it doesn't mean the Bible has errors. <laughs> it's just uniqueness in translation from one language to another language. And so um, here, the, the word thousand year is from the Latin. We say millennium because... Um, uh, again, it's, it's a, more of a theological word that, that makes sense in the English in explaining it. And this is a thousand years where God restores the earth. Uh, how closely back to the Garden of Eden, we don't know. But definitely, he restores it back somewhat uh, to that direction. You know, are, are there any buildings standing? Are we all living in the jungle like Adam and Eve? I, I don't think so. I think there probably are cities still standing and, and roads and, and, and uh, a lot of the modern things like driving in cars and, and planes are still going to be happening. I, I have no idea. I'm just saying, as I think about it, I don't think that, that industry is going to be gone and we're going to all be back with uh, sticks and, and uh, kicking rocks and, and so forth. But, we, you know, that's a debatable topic. But for sure, Jerusalem, not just saying it spiritually is the center of the earth it does become the center of the earth and um, Jesus will set up the kingdom there the temple will be rebuilt the city will be rebuilt uh, the throne of David will be reestablished Jesus will set upon that throne and he himself will be right here uh, on earth from New Jerusalem um, for a thousand year reign Israel is established back as uh, the nation for the first time. The entire land that God gave Abraham that's never been uh, realized as the nation of Israel will for the first time happen. The most Israel has ever had of the promised land was under King David and King Solomon, which was about 10% of the promised land. But now it'll be all all the way. And uh, in Isaiah 2, verse 2 through 4, it gives a great little synopsis, and then we'll break this down into different areas. But in Isaiah 2, verse 2 through 4, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
He shall judge between nations, rebuke many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So Jesus is going to be teaching Bible studies right there uh, from Jerusalem. The highway system of the world, I do not know exactly how this is going to play out. Uh, but people from wherever they're at on the earth will be able to quickly get to Jerusalem to hear a Bible study from Jesus and then get back home. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And, uh, and there, when the Lord lands on the Mount of Olives, um, from the Dead Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, there's going to be a, a ripping and a tearing and a river is going to start flowing there, but it's going to flow actually from the throne of God. <laughs> and it'll flow down into what we know today as the Kidron Valley. And if, if you know Israel, it's not that far at all to the Dead Sea, and it's not that far to the Mediterranean Sea. But there's going to be a, a river flowing from the throne of God, and that river, it will be there for the healing of the nations. And all kinds of uh, trees are going to grow up around that river, and the leaves and the water there are, are for people to be healed if they come. So people will come with whatever ailments, and uh, they can come right and hear Jesus and be healed in that river that comes from the throne. So there's so much on this. I, I'm going to try to give you a pretty good chunk of it tonight, but uh, there's so much on this point. Well, in chapter 20, verse 4 now, I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So people that have been raptured before the tribulation, but then also those who have gone through the tribulation and have died in the tribulation that were martyred there, all of us will be ruling with and reigning with Christ on that earth. And so you say, well, who will be on the earth? The people that didn't take the mark, the people that did not bow to the Antichrist, somehow, without taking the mark, they couldn't buy, they couldn't sell. They, no matter where they go, even if they go into holes in the mountains, they still can be found out. Uh, remember the various insects are coming and stinging people, and they wish they could die, but they don't for months. They're going to go through all of this. The waters of the world are polluted. It, it's it's going to be hell on earth, that tribulation period. And, and I, I've had... Uh, you know, I grew up in the church, and, and I, I, you know, I have some friends that I, I'll see from time to time. And I remember in my 20s, I saw one of my friends who was not even pretending to walk with the Lord at this time. And, and, uh, but yet he was quite the theologian. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I said, dude, what if the rapture comes tomorrow? He goes, I'm gonna, I've already decided I'm just going to go through the tribulation period. And uh, so if it doesn't happen, like I'm an old man, I'm going to die. You know, before I die, I'm going to say, God, forgive me. And uh, I'm sorry I didn't live obedient, but receive me now by the blood of the cross. And as if such a thing could happen. Uh, Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 talks about that, that it doesn't work, by the way. 
but if not, I'll go into the tribulation period. And yes, it will be very, very hard. But I'm having such a fun time right now, you know, doing drugs and jumping from woman to woman and, and living a, a sinful life. I, I you know, I, I, I know that I, I've got a couple different ways. I'll still make it. Don't worry about me, man. And I'm like, you, you, you think somehow you're going to play this salvation chess game with God and win. <laughs> you know, it's complete deception because salvation isn't from us. The Bible makes it clear. No one can come unto me unless the Father draws him. Boy, Jesus makes that clear. Today is the day of salvation. Don't hear it in vain. I mean, there in, in 2 Corinthians 6, he, he makes it clear to those people who say, tomorrow, he makes it clear, no, no, no. The invitation is here, but the invitation isn't going to stand until you decide whether or not you're going to marry me. It is, it is not a lifelong asking you to come to me. And if you have a hard heart now, guess what? You'll probably have a hard heart 10 years from now and 20 years from now. You know, uh, I had a, when I was in college, I used to, uh, one of my jobs is I worked for a pharmacy um, taking drugs to people's houses. Most of them were old people. But yes, if you want to say, yes, I was a drug dealer in college, go ahead. Um, I was a drug dealer in college. And, uh, but I, I can remember one old guy, I witnessed all, the, all of them, but this one old guy, you know, he, he, God was touching his heart, but he would always say, and of course he would forget, he would tell me every single time, um, yeah, I gotta go to hell, that's where all my friends are, you know? And, and I'd say to him, you know, it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's a total place of darkness, even if your friends are there, all you're gonna do is hear them screaming and gnashing in teeth. It's not like you're going to go golfing or anything, you know. Um, and, uh, I, you know, little by little, it was, but this, this is the hard hardness of man. But those who made it through the tribulation, it's hard to imagine anybody made it through it. But yet there are thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who did not do it. They were persecuted by the Antichrist. They went through the torment of being on earth while the bulls of God's wrath was being spilled out. We do see at one point in the middle of the tribulation period where the Antichrist sets himself on the throne and proclaims himself to be God and the Jews' eyes are opened up. And that's where Jesus says in Matthew 24, if you're on the rooftop, don't go back inside. If you forgot your jacket, just run. And they can run towards the Jordan border today um, over to the, the south end where uh, Edom used to be. It's the rock city of Petra is. And, uh, and if they can get there, but, but Satan immediately feels completely rejected by the Jews and just starts slaughtering them. And they are running for the border. And if they can make it to the border into the land of Edom, for that last three and a half year period, God will uh, protect them and take care of them for that second three and a half years. And my, uh, my, my thoughts are is that Christians who are reading this will also know that wherever they're at in the world, they're going to start trying to pilgrimage if they can and get over to that place uh, in Petra to, to, to be hanging out with the, the Jews who reject the Antichrist uh, during that time. And their eyes are opened at that moment. They realize that uh, Jesus was the Messiah. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a large group of Jews uh, that do indeed believe and, and aren't killed in the tribulation period by the Antichrist at that moment. 
but one third of those who are there do make it into the rock city of Petra and God protects them. And so um, remember in that story in Matthew 25 where Jesus says, you know, on that day I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. This is what I believe he's referring to. Those people that have made it through the tribulation period, some on earth are sheep that can live now in the thousand-year millennial reign as humans, and then those who are alive and made it through the tribulation period that did not receive the Lord, they're goats, and they're going to be cast at that point uh, into Hades with the devil and his angel. You guys remember that passage, right? I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty, you gave me to drink and so forth. And he said, we didn't know we did that for you. He goes, yeah, when you did it to the least of them, he's my brethren. And so he, he makes it clear there at the end of that passage in Matthew 25, and he'll answer them saying, assuredly I say to you, and as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, um, but the righteous into eternal life. And, um, and so these people now are gonna live for that thousand years. So whatever's gonna happen, when God redoes the earth, he's gonna put a new ozone lane up there, uh, ozone layer, I believe in the flood, there, before the flood, there was a water canopy that, that covered the earth. And if you looked up at the sky, you would have saw the rainbow all the time. That's, you know, when you saw a blue sky, the whole sky would have always looked like a rainbow. But it says in the flood that God let the waters from beneath break forth and all the waters from above break. And, uh, and so that would explain why like Adam and Eve and all those guys up to that time could live almost a thousand years. You remember that? Um, Methuselah lived 969, the oldest, but either way, it, it was up there. And so with that water canopy back in place and the earth being waters of the Garden of Eden and, and reestablished to that degree, men are going to probably be able to live uh, even up as, as high as a thousand years. And so during that time, those who have believed are going to start repopulating the earth. Now, if you go back and, and, and look at the math, and you can see this in any commentaries or today you can Google it, but you look at the time from Adam and Eve to the flood, which is about 1,500 years. Um, they have done the math. They've done the history. And uh, what you discover is that if you say Adam and Eve only had four children and everybody else only had four children and you didn't have the mutations like you have now, you didn't have the sickness like we had now, but uh, if you just said everybody had, but you gotta understand, you know, a lot of these people, as you read, go back and read Genesis, were having kids at 500 years old, okay? So it wasn't like they were limited, you know, you gotta have you know, all the kids you're going to have before 40 years old or whatever, you know, they could have kids up into their hundreds. So I doubt they had four kids. I think they probably had 400 kids. And, uh, and, uh, and so, but either way, if you just say four kids and that, and say a thousand years, and you do the math, it would make a population on earth between eight and 10 billion people. So, my thoughts are in this thousand-year millennial reign, people can go to the and be healed by Jesus, and of course we're there, and 
And people are going to die during this time. Don't get me wrong. They, they, they're not invincible by any means. They're, they can't get raised from the dead if they die or, or if they get injured. They, you know, it's not like they, they aren't going to stay injured to some degree. It's going to be like it is now. But um, we're looking at a population of the world coming back over that thousand years to billions of people, no doubt. And, um, and so um, as this is going on, and these people are, are repopulating the planet. Um, we are there, and uh, we are going to come back in our new bodies, and we are going to be back on this earth for a thousand years. Do you remember that in Matthew 19, when Peter said to the Lord, Lord, we left everything to follow you. We've left, and Jesus said, I know, surely you you." He says, everyone who's left houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and wives and children and lands for my sake, he says, shall receive a hundredfold. And if you compare Matthew, Mark, and Luke on this, it'll say in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. So just think about it. You're, you're here right now and you're going... I've given all my money to missionaries and I'm, you know, living in a little tiny beat up trailer and, and you know, eating beans and rice and, and I, I shouldn't have sacrificed so much. Or maybe you went to the mission field. Or maybe you're going, man, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to live a holy life for the Lord. My whole family's cut me off and I don't have any friends at school. And, and, and you know, Man, you know, actually, as I'm thinking about it, it really hasn't paid off to really live as a Christian. You're right. Paul said that. He said, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then this life is all we have. Do not live as a Christian because it does not pay off. Paul said in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 12, I know whom I believed in I've, uh, and I have given unto him all that I will receive on that day. I, I understand. I've lost a lot, but I know I'm going to get it back. So let's say you live 100 years as a Christian. Let's say you, I mean, on earth right now, you live to be 100 years old. And most of that time, you were in prison for 50 years in China for being a Christian or 50 years in Russia for being a Christian or uh, give it another couple of years, 50 years in California for being a Christian. And uh, you're family suffered and you suffered and, and, and they wouldn't hire you because you're a, you know, obviously something's mentally wrong with you because you believe in God and following Jesus. And, and, and you suffer in this life, as we know many, millions of people have throughout history, right? For being followers of God. Well, guess what? You're coming back here for a thousand years. Well, I never have money to go scuba diving. Go scuba diving for a hundred years. And guess what? You're going to be in a brand new body, so you don't need scuba gear. And guess what? You're going to have a horse that flies. So you can literally go scuba diving for a hundred years and run your city or whatever you're doing, you know, in, in, in the part-time job there. Well, I always wanted to hike, but I was born with a bad leg or a club foot or a bad spine, and I've always wanted to, to climb, you know. Okay, when you're done scuba diving for 100 years, spend 100 years hiking. 
Go up the Matterhorn. Go to K2. Oh, it's cold up there. Got to have oxygen. Not you. You're in your brand new body. You're not going to get cold. You're not going to run out of oxygen. And if you get tired, you just ride your horse for a while. Do you get it, guys? This earth that we're walking on right now, we are going to come back for a thousand years on this earth. So whatever you missed out on, what did he say to Peter? You're going to receive a hundredfold more. Isn't that the truth? If we live to be a hundred, and you've got now a thousand years to replace that hundred years in a brand new body with Jesus here, by the way. Well, I'm going to go scuba diving with Jesus this Tuesday. Cool. Yeah, me and Jesus are going to go hiking. And, and guess what? Moses and Elijah are coming too. Do you, do you get it, guys? That's why Paul said, I know and believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep all that I've given unto him until that day. So read those wonderful words again, and we shall live for a thousand years. But it doesn't just say that. It says also, we shall reign with him for a thousand years. And we see this earlier in Revelation. Hey, Dell, can you make it a little cooler in here? I'm, I'm hot. Is anybody else hot? Don't, don't think about it. Ted's back there like, like he's ready to kill over there. So anyway, um, Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, it, it talks again about those 24 elders and they have crowns of gold upon their head. And then in, in Revelation 5, in verse 9 and 10, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals. You were slain, have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And I have made kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. He has made us kings and priests unto our God, and we shall rule and reign on the earth. So not only are we going to be for, here for a thousand years, do all the scuba diving and hiking and flying around, probably, at least on your horse, you can become like the best pool, table, a pool, pool player, you know, become the best golfer. It's like, yeah, it gets a little boring. I've been doing this for like 300 years now, and I get a hole-in-one every shot, so it's sort of... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but we're not going to be in the millennial reign crying about what we had to sacrifice to live for Christ in this life at all. And then on top of that, we are in charge. No more Jerry Browns. Yeah, I got to cut that out of the the tape there, but... um, (laughs) In, in essence, only conservative Republicans shall be here on the earth. The Tea Party and the moral majority shall rule. No, I, I'm just kidding. I'm not that much into politics. I'm just uh, pushing buttons. Some of you guys are out there going, yeah, preach it, Brian. This is the best sermon I've ever heard. Um, I, I hope we are much more righteous than the Republican Party. God help us. Uh, 
But we, we see it, and the Bible makes it clear that we are going to rule and reign. We see this in particular with the apostles. They're going to have a unique place, minus Judas, uh, reigning. In Matthew 19, 28, he said to them, Surely I say to you, that the re- in the, but in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And of course, as he spoke that to those guys, he said, if you follow me, uh, those who follow me, Satan, of course, Judas wasn't uh, going to be in that, that fold. In Luke 22, 29 and 30, and I bestowed upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table and my kingdom and sit on your thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Then all of us Christians are saints and are ruling. In Matthew 25, 21, uh, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of, the, of your Lord. And then in that same uh, parable, but in the Gospel of Luke, instead of talents, it's minuses. And, uh, and, and the, he makes it specific here. That good and faithful servant who did, you know, the 10 talents, the five talents, the one talent, those who were faithful with those minuses, he says, I'm going to give you authority over 10 cities. The guy who was faithful with five minuses over five cities. So again, we will be kings, princes, rulers at various degrees according to how we live now. And man, I'd love to do a study on that, but 2 Corinthians 5 makes it clear. We will all stand before God and be judged according to what we've done in our bodies, good and bad. So you think, well, I'm born again. God's taken my sin and thrown it to the deepest sea to never be remembered anymore. Yes, he will never condemn us with our sins ever. We will feel no condemnation in Christ, but we are going to give an account. A matter of fact, we're going to have to give account of every word. We're going to have to give an account of every situation. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says in God's house, the foundation is Jesus, but upon that house, there's some that build with hay, wood, and stubble, and some with precious metals, but that, there's going to be a judgment seat, not the white throne of judgment for condemnation, but the bema seat of Christ, and it's going to get set on fire, and that which is left over shall be reward. And he says, plain as day in 1 Corinthians 3, there will be some Christians that are on the foundation, they are saved, but they will have zero reward for all of eternity. And Jesus says, I speak to you plainly, store up your treasure in heaven. You're going to want it there. You may not understand it fully because we're not, you're like a kindergartner trying, you know, the dad says, you do good in kindergarten, I'll help you buy a car when you're 16. You know, uh, the kindergartner is not going to get that. And in essence, that's us right now. Jesus is saying, you are going to want to rule and reign you are going to want to have been the person who was not given just one talent or five talents, but 10 talents, and you were faithful with that. You are going to want to rule over many things. You are going to be wanted to be, give a greater position. And then we're going to find out that's going to be the glory of heaven forever and ever. And he says, may not be spiritually important to you right this moment, but I'm guaranteeing you it will be then. So try to understand it and live a life worthy of me. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, because you're going to want it in that day. And so variations of of ruling according to how faithful we've been. 
And it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, do you not know that the saints, us, will even judge the world? That's in the millennial reign. We will be uh, the judge, uh, the, jury, the, the, the judge and the kings and the priests uh, on this earth. And then he says, eventually, we are going to have the privilege of also judging the angels. We're going to get to condemn some of those demons that have harassed you. Okay, all you Christians from Red Bluff, we got the demons that terrorized you. Let's uh, come on out here, demons. Okay, uh, this one right here, and we're going to see it. And we're going to look at it going, oh, man. And, um, and we're going to realize it at that point. And then um, in 2 Timothy 2.12, if you endure, you shall also reign with him. We will judge man like Jesus in the millennial reign. Listen to Revelation 2, 26, 27. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. That's in the second part of Psalms 2. Well, there's some other things about the millennial reign that we have ran out of time to go into, but it's here in the notes for you to study. Um, the human race is going to continue. We talked about that. People will sin during that time. And we're going to discover that man, even in that time of the millennium, needs to get born again. People are going to be born in this world as non-believers, as those little sinful natures. And it's through the blood of Christ and through the cross of the Christ that they're going to be saved. So through the millennial period, we'll still be having evangelism going on. Because Jesus is the only way, truth, and life now and forevermore. And then Israel will be the superpower. And, uh, and then the animals. Oh, that's so cool. Read over uh, Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 65 there. And you will see that the animal kingdom will be completely docile. Lions will just be grazing like the lambs. Serpents will be like docile big worms that little babies can play with. We'll literally hand hand like a, a rattlesnake to our baby in the crib saying, hey, play with this. And the baby stops crying as they're playing with this snake and the snake is playing with them. Pretty crazy, isn't it? And then King David is gonna be the king over Israel. Whew, isn't that gonna be cool? I mean, if you could get transported back in time, wouldn't you wanna go back to be Riding a horse along the side of King David as one of his mighty men? Well, guess what? It's very a possibility in the millennial reign. David will be king over Israel. We'll be able to go up there and, and, you know, have lunch with King David and hear a Bible study from Jesus, go swimming down on the river and get some of the leaves that are for the healing of the nations. And, um, and, the glory of David and his kingdom shall be on that millennial reign. And then after that, in the new heavens and the new earth, David will still have that rule and reign forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, there's so much more I'd like to go over with you, but man, just getting washed in the word. And uh, guys, the signs of the time. Jesus said the days will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Check. The days will be like Noah, violence filling the earth. Check. Wars and rumors of wars. Check. Kingdoms and nations. We used to say, what's that mean? Now we know, don't we? 
There are nation boundaries that are against each other, but then there's boundaries that really aren't in a nation. It's a kingdom. Right now, the Islamic kingdom and, 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 and cartels and so forth, these multi-billion dollar kingdoms that are fighting against one another. You can just go right on down. Guys, the rapture of the church is any moment. And we are going to be eaten with Jesus in heaven in our brand new bodies, in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment. Be comforted with those words. And then we'll come back for a thousand years and whatever you missed out on because of that bad hip or ran out of money or you, you, gave, all, you know, gave all your time and energy to serving the church and church serving one another, believe me, we'll all be side by side for a thousand years uh, enjoying this earth before it finally melts with a fervent heat and then God gives us a new heavens and a new earth. Well, Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for washing us in the water of it and just give us a great evening. Be with all these families as they talk about these things, washing one another in the word, exhorting one another as the word of God dwells in them richly and just bless greatly the fellowship we have uh, afterwards this evening in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.